This week in KMA Land, pipeline project discussions shift to Fremont County. Page County officials focus on road conditions. Concerns expressed over Page County Health Board appointees. Iowa Senator Joni Ernst visits a Shenandoah business. And progress reported in Shen School Activities revamp. I'm Mike Peterson. Fremont County officials were the latest to discuss a controversial carbon pipeline project in Fremont County this week. Meeting in regular session Wednesday morning, the Fremont County Board of Supervisors heard from representatives with Summit Carbon Solutions, whose Midwest Express CO2 pipeline is proposed to run through 3.9 miles of the county, hooking up to Green Plains, Shenandoah. The ethanol plant is one of 12 in the state expected to be served by the pipeline, spanning much of western Iowa. As they've begun to look into potential drainage district crossings, Summit Representative Riley Gibson says the pipeline would likely cut through the Johnson Run district, which runs through Shenandoah and drains into the East Nishtabotna River. Kind of what we've been doing is once we've identified a drainage district crossing is meet with, uh, you know, whoever would like to on the county side, uh, potentially an engineer who takes care of the district and bring along a construction manager and discuss a little bit more detail about, you know, some of the expectations, if there's any agreements for crossing um, fees, etc. Uh, how you'd like some of the facilities crossed within the district. Additionally, Gibson says 31% of the necessary land in Fremont County has been acquired through voluntary easements, while project-wide the company is just shy of 58%. In light of developments with the city of Shenandoah, senior project manager Grant Terry says they've adjusted the path slightly around the city's future wastewater development site while staying within their proposed corridor. Typically a corridor is if you have a 40 parcel the two adjacent parcels, and that's our corridor. So if I believe we were right in the center of, uh, you know, that center parcel, then we would shift over either, I think the first one we proposed was the western edge of that center parcel that we were already on, and then if, if that doesn't work with their future uh, wastewater development and that upper, I think it was the third parcel up of Valley Farms, we were going to look to shift over to the western one, which is, I believe, the one they liked a little bit more. Terry adds the line would be a six-inch pipe at least four feet below the ground and could be adjusted deeper to accommodate any drainage tile. He adds they'll also use horizontal directional drilling to go under the East Nishtabanda River and 190th Street in Fremont County, and markings for the line on agricultural land would likely be set at around fence lines. However, Supervisor Dustin Sheldon, who also serves in the Sydney Fire Department, says he still has some lingering concerns about the pipeline's safety procedures, particularly given the proximity to Shenandoah in case of a catastrophic failure that would require evacuation. It was you know, right behind the, the you know, water treatment facility there. You've got all the businesses there along 59, which is very highly populated during the daytime. Um, what kind of... of uh, Time frame are we looking at there? I mean, are we looking at 45 minutes to an hour? Are we looking at 10 minutes? Are we look, you know, right. that's that's what the safety deal. That's kind of what I'm getting at there. Is I, I really want to know. Terry says shutoffs, which can be activated remotely in the case of a breach in Fremont County, would be located at Green Plains and roughly two miles north. However, he adds that emergency response plans won't be finalized until closer to the project's commission. If we hand that to you, you're going to have to get something completely different once we get to the actual commissioning phase because there's going to be aspects of the line that change. And, I mean, that's just the, the reality of it. A lot of people ask for it, you know, why don't you have it now? It's because you develop it up until the point that you're ready to commission. Then you have an entire company sign off on it, and that is your finalized emergency response plan. And they're going to differ for 
essentially every individual county based on what you have available. Terry says official training will be provided to the various emergency management and first responders in the affected counties closer to the project's commission. Future road projects were a subject of discussion in Page County this week. Page County engineer J.D. King discussed the current five-year plan of base stabilization and seal coat projects on the county's secondary roads with the county's Board of Supervisors Tuesday evening. Most of the attention was given to a proposed renovation on the east side of the county, including five miles of J Road in the northeast corner of the county, seven miles of J53 running from Shambaugh to the Page-Taylor County line, and a four-and-a-half-mile stretch of J55 from Teak Avenue east to the Page-Taylor County line. King says the budgetary estimates he received from the projects would be roughly $350,000 per mile, including grinding in cement powder and a double chip seal. However, King says all three potential projects would cost over a million dollars. So J-Road is a million and a half dollars. The whole part, the whole part of J-53 is two and a half million dollars. And the east-west part of J-55 is $1.6 million. Discussions also come after residents raised concerns about the length of time the three roads have been ground up to reduce large potholes and also in preparation for future projects. King says the current plan has J-Road and the westernmost four miles of J-53 scheduled to take place this year due to a bridge near Vine Avenue and the remainder of J-53 and J-55 in 2025. He adds J-55 and J-Road to qualify as farm-to-market roads, from which the county receives $1 million a year. However, King says they are already beginning to borrow ahead on farm-to-market funds. We're borrowed ahead a year and a half, but we can we can borrow ahead up to five. So we, we do have sufficient funds to do to do one of these projects. King adds that the one-year gap between the projects will also allow for a buildup of funds to finance the remainder of the improvements. However, Supervisors Chair Jacob Holmes says this year's budget process would also be a time to see if any additional funds could be utilized in the projects, along with being efficient with how they borrow ahead in the farm-to-market funds. We're going to go budgets here at the end of the month, 1st February, so we're going to kind of have a, with this in mind and how many million, I don't think there's enough to do this, but maybe we can find ways to squeeze it, squeeze it out and see how soon we can do it or maybe speed it up a little bit by borrowing a little bit ahead. Some situation we can talk about this. But I guess I'm committed to doing what we have okay. on here. King says the main task to borrowing ahead in the farm-to-market dollars is, is if a road that requires the particular fund falls apart in the future. With this year's five-year plan not due until April, Holmes also suggested possibly prioritizing road segments differently to tackle bigger chunks at once. Supervisor Todd Maher says he believes the three roads, which have been ground up for some time now, deserve to be the first ones the county addresses in its updated plan. People that have lived on a road that's been tore up for a long, long time and they've waited and waited and waited, I think those concerns should be addressed first and then Mm -hmm. keep moving through the list. Now, whether that's, you know, that's not going to make everybody happy, but I think people have been patient a long time Mm -hmm. and... If they've been on this five-year list and still have not keep getting pushed out and out, then I'm sure the road's not getting any better. No official decisions were made.
Some Page County Board of Health members are voicing concerns over the latest appointment process to the board. The County Board of Health held its first meeting of 2023 Monday night, including the addition of four new members, Wendy Meyer, Rosie Caven, Supervisor Todd Maher, and Karen Mason. The four individuals were appointed to the board by the supervisors last week after submitting applications to the county. Meyer and Caven filled two vacancies, while Maher and Mason were added after the supervisors expanded the board to seven members. However, some current members, including Jonah Hudson, expressed some frustrations that they were not included in selecting applicants for the two vacancies. I'm really kind of floored that as a board member, I found out about this tonight, that we have new members. And I guess I don't recall us never having a say before in applications. Additionally, while not wanting to get the appointees caught up in a conflict, board member Dr. Heather Babe called the situation unorthodox given the board's lack of involvement in the process and not having a formal introduction to any individuals before Monday's meeting. She also wanted to ensure the four members knew the commitment they were making before applying for the position. It's a labor of love. There, There's not a lot of... Uh, there's not a lot of recognition. We're doing this. We put a ton of time into this. It's an unpaid position. In the past couple of years with COVID, it's been heart-wrenching. It's been very difficult. Um, this isn't about like, personal interest. It's about doing what you feel is best for your community. Well, the situation has improved recently. Babe questioned whether the Board of Supervisors is in the best position to fill vacancies alone, given the disconnect she says the two boards have had over the years. However, Mayher says the supervisors can fill the positions and hopes having a supervisor on the board can help bridge the gap. In terms of a possible conflict of interest, Mayher says there are some items such as any future budget discussions where he would not get involved in any discussion or voting. But Babe hopes there can be more collaboration between the two boards in determining the Board of Health's makeup and direction moving forward. Iowa Senator Joni Ernst's latest stop on her 99-county tour took her to Shenandoah this week. In a visit to Wallen Plumbing and Heating, Ernst learned how her office helped the company with tax issues and about some of the issues their small business and others are facing in KMA land. Office manager Jenny Martin tells KMA News a glitch involving an address change prevented the company from receiving employee retention tax credits owed by the Internal Revenue Service through COVID-19 relief dollars. In the process, we had changed our address to a P.O. box and they wouldn't issue those checks to us through the P.O. box. I kind of went through all of the steps the IRS told me through mailing that needed to be done to get that resolved. Couldn't get it resolved. I think after like three months of filing the paperwork, they said when you called, you couldn't get through to them. They wouldn't answer the phone. It just said, sorry, we're too busy to take your call right now. Ern says Constituent Services Director Emily McKern worked with Wallen to ensure they receive the tax credits owed to them. The Red Oak Republican also heard about other issues facing small businesses from Martin and Wallen Company President Jade Hagee, such as finding and retaining skilled employees. We have decreasing populations in our rural areas and finding the right fit for a trade or a skill. Having those abilities, um, that's a challenge. Succession planning as well. You know, Jay brought up that he, although he's not ready to retire now, that is a concern that in the future he will have somebody that will be able to come in and, and purchase the business. And not a big corporation and just someone from the local area that would be willing to carry on this business. Martin says having the senator's office help their business than having Ernst stop by for a chat was gratifying. It was really cool. I think it's great to be able to, you know, realize that you're a person with these government officials, that they really do take your 
small business problems into consideration when making these bills and when, you know, making legislator and stuff like that. So yeah, it was, a, it was really awesome to have her here. Ernst hopes to help other small businesses in KMA land through her new position as ranking member of the U.S. Senate Small Business Committee. Among other things, Ernst hopes to pinpoint federal programs that could aid rural businesses and possibly ease burdensome regulations. From Shenandoah, Ernst traveled to Atlantic to tour the Cass County Educational Opportunity Center and a town hall meeting in Holstein. Efforts to rejuvenate the Shenandoah School District's activities programs continue behind the scene. Back in October, Shenandoah High Principal Andrew Christensen announced an effort to reach, revamp, and reconnect the district's extracurricular programs, including not only athletics but also music, FFA, and other activities. Well, since that announcement, Christensen says preliminary discussions took place in November and December with the goal of having a plan set before the summer. Christensen updated the process in a recent edition of KMA's Morning Line program. The biggest things that are happening internally and within our building is we're having a ton of discussions, a ton of meetings with the administration, with our staff, and collectively building it together to make sure that we hear everybody's voice and, and it's not done, you know, and, and that's what I want people to understand is this isn't a quick fix, you know, two-week process. School officials emailed a release to KMA News Thursday morning outlining some of the decisions already made. They include appointing Shenandoah JK8 Principal Aaron Burdorf as the district's youth sports director, the Shenandoah School Board's approval of more than $36,000 in updated and new equipment for the high school's weight room, allowing for an expansion of space at the high school's gym, and having high school assistant principal and activities director John Weinrich hold monthly meetings with coaches. We want to make sure that our athletic director, John Weinrich, is doing a nice job with our coaches, and they're building that from within, and the coaches' voices are being heard in terms of how we want to move forward, what are the things that we can do to help improve in those areas. Same goes to FFA and FCC LA and uh, music and uh, choir and band and so on and so forth. In addition, monthly assemblies have been set at the high school outlining expectations to students and staff. Other efforts focus on building relationships both inside and outside the district's facilities. Christensen says efforts to reach out to local businesses and organizations are already underway. I had the opportunity to, to go into different clubs and, and different groups in the community and kind of present and give an idea of kind of what we're doing and what we're trying to go and where we're trying to go with it. Lots of phone calls to businesses, and I haven't got to everybody uh, just yet, but having conversations with them to say, you know, this is where we're at, where can we improve, how can we improve our connectivity, you know, how can we lean on you and how can you lean on us? School officials add more information is expected to be released this spring regarding the plan's pillars, community buy-in and support, parent, guardian, connection and trust, and facilities. Red Oak City officials are exploring possible upgrades to the city's wastewater system. At its regular meeting Monday night, the Red Oak City Council approved the hiring of Snyder & Associates to perform the study. Additionally, the council backed applying for a special evaluation assistance for rural communities and Households, or search grant through the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Rural Development to help finance the study. Red Oak Mayor Shauna Sylvia says the report would provide a comprehensive overview of the city's current wastewater system. Including recommendations for system improvements, associated opinions of probable costs, uh, anticipated project implementation schedule, potential project funding sources. They will also do a rate study of our current rates 
and where they feel those rates should be. She adds Snyder and Associates has given an estimate of roughly $40,000 for the study, with the USDA grant hopefully financing up to 75 percent. The city would finance the remaining $10,000. However, she adds they're hopeful of receiving the grant funds given a larger pool of funds available than in previous cycles. Most of these uh, cost around $40,000, so we hope to get the full $30,000 in a grant. It is a competitive grant, but hopefully we are uh, hitting at a time that's early enough in the year with the funds that they have available. Sylvia tells KMA News the formal engineering report widens the scope and amount of money the city could pursue for larger projects related to the sewer system. They identify an issue or or some capital improvement um, projects that we're going to need to prioritize, which I anticipate we will. We can then apply for other state and federal funding to, to do those improvements. We have to have the engineering report first, though. Sylvia says the city is looking into the review and grant after discussions with city staff identified some higher cost improvements, including a new supervisory control and data acquisition or SCADA system. She adds just three city employees currently operate the facility and a quality sewer system can often be taken for granted. More Missouri school districts are following the trend of implementing four-day school weeks. That's according to Ethan Sickles, superintendent of the Rockport R2 School District, which enters its second semester of the new schedule format in which students attend classes four days a week. School officials lengthen the school day in order to meet the state school hour requirement of 1,044 per academic year. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Monday morning, Sickles says he's heard little, if any, feedback on the new schedule. I know some other school districts that had far more feedback than we did early, but we tried to build the schedule around some things, and, you know, we, we haven't had a lot of feedback. We'll go to our third and final calendar reading here in February, and, you know, we're going with the four-day model. It seems to have worked well for us, and, you know, that's what we're building off of. In Missouri, more and more schools seem to be adding the four-day model, so there may be a day where you're talking to schools in a couple of years that are more abnormal if they have five days instead of four days. Recently, the Independent School District voted 6-1 to one in favor of transitioning to a four-day week beginning next school year. Sickles believes other school districts will follow the trend. He cites one main reason for the change, recruiting more teachers to Missouri school districts. You know, there's just a shortage of educators out there right now. It is hard to find anybody, you know, so that four-day school week, it attracts people because it shortens the work week. You know, there are definitely some business models that have four-day weeks, but obviously in a school that's a little bit different. So that's worked well. Now some Iowa school districts are now exploring the possible conversion to a four-day school week. Preliminary talk over the option took place at Griswold School Board meetings over the past three months. Griswold Superintendent Dave Hendrich tells KMA News board members sent two goals at their November meeting. One, to develop strategies to attract and retain quality staff. And two, address issues regarding open enrollment. Currently, approximately 100 students are open enrolling out of the district. Only 30 are open enrolling in. Early December, we had a board work session to develop more of a action plan around those goals. And so when we specifically look at the goal dealing with staff, staff retention and recruitment, one of the things that the board wanted to look at was a four-day school week because there's some research that indicates that that's very favorable to staff members and that might be a way to help us. Hendricks presented more information to board members at this month's meeting earlier this week. Very quickly we landed on, you know what, if our staff is not in favor of this or if our parents and students are not, then we're not really sure it's accomplishing what we hope that it might. So our next step is actually that we're going to survey our staff 
and our parents just to find out their interest level. Surveys for staff and parents have yet to be developed. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. For more information all the time, log on to kmaland.com where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend.